What have we got to say? I, I don't know about you, Ed, but I um I thoroughly enjoyed Manchester United for Istanbul Basaksehir here one. Uh, yeah, you were you were confident before the game. You were like, I think we're going to win three 0 I was yeah. unable to access that confidence, but you were entirely correct here, as I normally am. <laughs> uh, close anyway. <laughs> well, look, Ollie has a fifty-seven percent win rate, win rate, or something like that. So you know, I'm at least fifty-seven percent correct because uh, I predict a win a hundred percent of the time, yeah. or close to it, rounding up. Look, this this was, um, for the first half, a really excellent performance. Bit flat in the second half. You know, there was there was a little mini wobble, wasn't it, after they scored and, and had some pressure for the 10 minutes or so. But at no point were United really at risk of blowing it. It felt like it. I mean, I don't know. My internal, um, my internal panic button went off. Once, um, <laughs> once uh, Turrich scored, and then they hit the they hit the bar, didn't they? After that, like with they the hit long the ranger. bar, and it looked like they were putting us under pressure. Um, but obviously, you know, Daniel James's goal wrapped it up. But look, for forty five minutes, really excellent performance from United. You know, it was, it was creative. There were some nice goals. The standard pen, you know, <laughs> every week, as as you noted on Twitter, people should stop fouling us. Um, so yeah, it was it was thoroughly enjoyable. It's, this is the Manchester United we want, and that doesn't come out nearly often enough. And I can't explain the inconsistency, but it's bloody frustrating, frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the one really nice thing about this after West Brom, where you know everyone was very upset, I think probably rightly so about the the not the formation so much as the selection. Um, in terms of the, the the players and how much the double pivot in midfield, especially yeah, yeah. So he went from playing six defenders against West Brom to playing three defenders. Because um, I'm not sure you can really call Alex Tellez a defender per se. Um, I, I certainly don't think that's what he's primarily in the team to do. Um, and yeah, playing seven forwards turns out makes this really fun. I mean, I know it's the most obvious point in the world, and I'm sure everybody that's um, listening to this show that doesn't come out till Friday after a win on Tuesday has probably heard a fairly substantial amount of discourse around this subject. But uh, this game really hinges on Van der Beek playing in midfield. Now, I want to be extremely clear here that what I'm not saying is future United consistency hinges on Van der Beek playing in midfield because it's nowhere near that simple. But in this game, the reason Bruno got two goals from open play, two goals from open play for Bruno Fernandes, was because he was able to break ahead of the ball and do third man runs. Yeah, because Van der Beek was playing yeah. forward passes; he didn't have to be the one doing all the creating. No, that, that's right. Look, we've been searching for balance in midfield for so long, and um, I guess Solskjaer started the season hoping that Pogba would provide it. I still think there's an awful lot of mitigation with Pogba's performances this season. I know that's not a popular opinion because the the prevailing opinion, at least in Twitter sphere, is to bash on him. Um, but I think his lack of fitness and the COVID really hit him hard. Um, and Solskjaer has said that, so I think we can believe the manager when he says that. Um, so there's still room for Pogba to come back into the team and provide that balance. And, and the balance is we need someone who is strong defensively and then someone who can do the sort of box-to-box number eight bit in midfield. And, and Van der Beek did that very well against Berzakshia uh, because, you know, one, they weren't attacking that much and it, it allowed the link between midfield and and Bruno playing in between the lines to work really well. Also, should say that Cavani up front, although he didn't score in this game, provides a, a you know, a sort of point of the spear uh, as a number nine in the way that uh, Martial doesn't quite because Martial comes deeper a lot more, right? So Cavani's running the channels and, and playing as a number nine, which is, I'm not saying, I, I definitely, in the same way that you weren't saying that Van der Beek's performance means much for the future necessarily. I'm not saying that Cavani needs to be in the team every week and I, I'm pretty sure at his age, he definitely shouldn't be. And there will be a, there'll be a trade-off if that happens in that you're then going to ask Martial and Rashford to job share, probably. I mean, Rashford played on the right in this game, but it's not where he wants to be because he can't shoot from that position as much. Um, and and Martial, I think he's got a future as a number nine, but there's options, right? This showed there's options. Cavani can play in some of these games that 
we have enough um, in the squad to be flexible. Now, I think we'd be even better with someone who was good on the right, you know, and, and uh, is an attacking outlet on the right. And um, that's why they wanted Sancho uh, in the uh, in the team, you know, and, and I can, can completely 100% see that. But we, we have hints with this game of what the future could look like if Oli can get the balance of the team right. Um, we would be amazing, right? Amazing if we had a really good defensive midfielder, it would change the balance of the team hugely because Freddie's not that, McTominay is not that, and Matic is, Matic's legs have gone, right? So if we had someone who was Angola Kante from four or five years ago in this team right now. Or Angola Kante. Transformational. Oh, Angola Kante yeah. now, right now, because he's yeah. flying this season. I, yeah, that's true. Um, it would be transformational for this team in the way that Bruno was right? yeah. because it would make the balance between defence and attack. So, uh, But we're searching for that, but there are hints. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I was going to say similar to what you said about Cavani. I, I thought, well, Bruno is obviously man of the match and I think we should talk a little bit about Bruno's performance in, in specific terms. But I thought in specific terms, Cavani was magnificent in this game, like really exciting and and reminded me of that feeling at the at the end of the transfer window of like at first being kind of horrified that we were making that signing in terms of what it represented about what a disastrous transfer window it was in terms of the stuff we talked at about as ad nauseum and then suddenly getting hit by a wave of oh wait a minute now Edinson Cavani plays for Man United and like he was really I mean if we can get 25 performances like that out of him this season that is absolutely massive because I, I totally agree with you about his age and he did have an injury hit season last season but my god he just did not stop running from start to finish in that game like he must be an absolute terror for defenders some of the some of the specific moments I, I I noted well both of them just twice brilliant dummies to allow the ball to go out to the right one of them went to Williams I can't remember I think Maybe the other one went to Rashford, but I can't remember for sure. Um, or Greenwood, it was. Um, and he just looked—he just looked like a massive pain, and he looked like he created a bunch of space. And I wonder whether that's the other reason why Bruno was able to uh, thrive. You know, because his first goal, Bruno's first goal, was he found a pocket of space around the edge of the area, and his second goal, he had space in the six-yard box. Although definitely not to do with United's constructive attacking play that that happened. But I do wonder whether Cavani would have create well, did create a big problem, which then Martial, Rashford, Fernandez can all exploit. I, I mean, look, I think that's correct. I, I think you will. I mean, he's, he is a, um, he's more of a classic number nine than we tend to get in, in football these days, isn't he? You know, he's a, he's a little bit of a throwback, um, but he runs the channels brilliantly his movement is really good. He cannot do that for 50 games a season. No. Not at his age, not coming into... And I don't think anyone expects him to do that. But, you know, there will be, of course, you know, amongst fandom, oh, good performance. He must be in the team every week, you know. And and uh, I'm just hoping Oli is able to use his resources sensibly. It's one of the weakest areas of his management in the two years that he's been at the club. I don't think he's used resources well. He's burnt some players out. Um, and uh, because he doesn't trust others. Uh, and, um, you know, not everyone has thrived under him. But we'll, we'll see. It, it's going to be a massive test. We talked about it on the last pod, didn't we, about resource management uh, in a in a season where basically it's Saturday, Wednesday, or Saturday, Tuesday, or Sunday, Wednesday, whatever it is, every week for the season. And if it's not, it's players going off on international duty and flying thousands of miles around the world and and getting jet lag and all the the all that all that comes with that. So anyway, big test for Ollie, uh, big test for some of the players. But we we've got you know some hints of something positive for the future. Tellez again showing that he can provide a real attacking outlet down the left in the way that Shaw doesn't. Now Tellez hasn't been tested defensively yet. We'll see was, in reports from Portugal where that wasn't. His strongest point. When you, you, know? when you said Alex Tellers hasn't been tested, I was like, listen, if anyone's been tested, that guy's been tested over and over. He's about 40 <laughs> yes. COVID tests a week at the moment, that guy. He's had the probe up his <laughs> nose a few times. But believe me, I've been I've been on the uh I don't think I've said on the pod, but um I'm part of the uh one of the phase three trials. I volunteered to to get, you know, stuck. Uh, I, I didn't realise quite how many pinholes they were going to stick in me as part of this testing. It's a lot. Oh, my God. But also COVID testing and 
let me tell you, it is it's quite unpleasant. Yeah, <laughs> Whether you do it yourself or someone else does it for you, um, it's uh, so I, I feel for these guys because they're getting tested every day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's not the nicest thing. Um, the uh, the thing I also think we have to set all the context of this conversation about this game, particularly as it pertains to the future, is before the last game against them, you said that these guys are just not very good. And they kind of surprised United in a way. But really, United just handed them the keys to the city and said, here you go, do with us what you will. Um, this game showed, listen, they are just not much cop. And, and it was very nice that, especially given what happened in Istanbul, that Solskjaer, because you just rightly pointed out one of his weaknesses, it was nice to see him just be like, do you know what? Let's just go for it. Cavani, Rashford, Martial front three. Cavani, Rashford, Martial front three. Bruno and Van der Beek in the team. Tellers on the left. Like this is, this is like, this was party time. Sexy stuff. I had such a long day on Tuesday and I was absolutely dreading watching Man United. When I saw the team sheet, I could not believe my luck. I was like, oh my God, this might actually be fun. And then it turned out it was. I mean, you mentioned right at the top of the show that the second half performance dropped off at every 3-0 second half performance in football history most teams have dropped off after i mean apart from ajax against vvv venlo the other week um but generally speaking <laughs> yes. teams drop off in the second half and the, the one of the lovely things about it was in the second half when he started making substitutions he made the team even more attacking <laughs> played 4-2-4 literally 4-2-4 no exaggeration yeah. <laughs> 4-2-4 at the end of that game 3-0 up in europe like or 3-1 up i guess um yeah, good times. Uh, yes, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a throwback, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing about uh, about this season or all the time under Solskjaer. You know, we do get these attacking performances from time to time. The best performances have been where United sit back and play on the break, uh, using the pace of Rashford and Martial in particular, um, and Bruno's risk taking because no one else in the team does. That. A friend of the show, Carl Anker, wrote a piece for the Athletic this week about uh, United not taking enough risks as a team, and that's why we sometimes get these blunt performances. And I, I agreed with his uh, analysis there. I think it is a problem, but but it's balance, you know, and we haven't quite got that. And, of course, the best teams do have that balance, and we're hopefully transitioning towards that. That's the optimistic view. Mm. You know, it's going to take some more investment in the transfer market, and that is not going to come this January. And it may not come next summer, given the financial results. We didn't talk about the um, Q1 financial results. Q1? Oh, have yeah, they come yeah. out? Yeah, they came out straight away. I mean, they didn't have a call because they were only three weeks after the um, the the full uh, FY20 results. Um, and, and it shows the same picture, right? So I won't get into a, a long piece. Uh, we had that a couple of weeks ago. But it it's, it doesn't look very, um, very rosy for United at the moment. It's going to be a £150 million loss at least, uh, I think from COVID and depending on when we can get fans back into the stadium, you know, it's it's a big loss, and and so that will impact United's future planning. It will impact our, our thoughts about Sancho, who by by the way, has got an absolute blinder for Dortmund this week. You see his free kick, top corner. He's had a difficult season, but his numbers are elite. I mean, if United can find money for a defensive midfielder. And Sancho on the right, it will make a big difference. Uh, Bruno Fernandes scored an absolute pinger to open the scoring this game. I mean, that stayed hit. It, it's there is what is better than an absolutely archetypical half volley. Oh, absolutely so, so sweet! Yeah, just just the exact take that you thunder bastard. <laughs> it stay hit exactly the amount of the, the right like um, you know the ball rises all the way through but at this kind of like perfectly rocket-like trajectory that it looks like the ball's being kind of self-propelled and it's got this perfect kind of flatness to its rise. Just a very yes. aesthetically pleasing goal. And Yes, exactly. And just a little bit of fade away from the keeper. Perfect. Oh. Bang in the top corner. Oh, I mean, you uh, you said in the WhatsApp group that... Um, that you'd had a you know, really hard day on Tuesday and if it had been a boring game, that would have finished you yeah. off. Well, I'll tell you what, this finished me <laughs> off. It was... Oh, that's good stuff. Um, the uh, the second goal, oh dear. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. I mean, it's a great cross from Tellers and, and well, it's a, it's a very good cross from Tellers. It's putting the ball into the danger area and the keeper clearly felt the pressure and just just flapped at it didn't he it was yeah you know horrible yeah, you, you hate to see it 
But you love to see Bruno stepping up and smashing it home um, from close range. And But, you know, like sincerely, that's two third man runs from Bruno leading to goals. One uh, classic midfielder, third man run to the edge of the area, wallop, top corner. And then the other being right like ahead of the penalty spot in the six yard area, ready to ready to snaffle up a, a mistake. And uh, perfect. I mean, along with his his risk taking, which we've talked about a lot, seventy one seventy one percent pass completion in this game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's okay near the box. Yeah, it's okay to take those risks. It's going to create goals, and he's created a lot of goals and scored a lot of goals. His numbers are are, are amazing. Four assists. XG chain and goals. They're awesome. Pass completion rate, you know, that's going to cause some problems, you know. I'd hate to see him give away the ball on the halfway line in, in, say, a Champions League final or something like that. But, Um, of course, course, if we have any chance of getting to a Champions League final, it's mostly going to be because of him. He he didn't get a hat-trick, though, because he very generously gave Rashford the penalty out of the goodness Uh, of his own heart. Sir Sir Rashford, I think we're going to have to cancel that, sir. You know, he he may give to... May give to the poor, but he's taking from the rich. He stole from Bruno. The thing about this is um, there was a lot made of, oh, he's giving it to Rashford because Rashford needs a goal. Rashford is the top scorer in the Champions League this season, averaging something like uh, 1.8 goals a game in the Champions League. So I think he's all right (laughs) on that front. I think this was because he's missed two penalties and got them back after, you know, scored after retakes. The look on his face... He wasn't giving that ball away out of the generosity of his heart. That was like, no, Rashford's on pens now, Bruno. Sorry, pal. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, he had such a good record, didn't he? But yes, yeah, two two out of the last three saved um, uh, and then saved by VAR. Yeah. Uh, so, look, I, it doesn't matter, whatever. As long as they're not fighting over it and it's not causing uh, some kind of problem in nah. the dressing room, who cares, you know? Rashford's a, a good penalty taker. I didn't like the run up. I mean, it was a bit, you know, it was a little bit quick step, wasn't it? Uh, but it slid it home, and it wouldn't have looked good if the keeper had gone the right way. No, absolutely not. So. Um, but you know, Marcus Rashford can only look good. A um, couple of small things I wanted to say. Like I know we talk about this all the time, but the well, I talk about it all the time. Bruno on the official United podcast uh, two weeks ago, just some absolutely classic football nerd chat like that guy really loves football so much and then so does this week's guest which was Wayne Rooney which is an I mean if you haven't listened to that yet and you like Man United content you are out of your mind because that (laughs) no it's great stuff it's great stuff joyous hour of listening to Rooney be completely relaxed, open. You know, I believed every word that came out of his mouth because he was perfectly prepared to say, like, things that he knew the United audience wouldn't like. But I, I do I do think the more that this goes on, the more abundantly clear it is that the 12-13 transfer request was just Fergie's revenge is a disc best served cold. Like, he just wanted to stick one on Wayne as he was walking out the door because of what had happened in 2010. <laughs> uh, yes. No, I mean, um, I, I can fully believe that Fergie has a deep, deep Machiavellian side <laughs> to him. Yeah. So <laughs> no doubt about yeah. it. Uh, no, it's great content. Uh, it continues to be a really good podcast. It, it's interesting because um, most uh, Manchester United content is pretty asinine, isn't yeah. it? Uh, and then, you know, there, there's a lot of honest conversations in these pods. I mean, it's, it's rah-rah United, of yeah. course, and you'd ex- expect that. Um, but, um, you know, some really good conversations. Sam Homewood, uh, friend of the show, does an awesome job yeah. uh, hosting that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, the people behind the scenes of you can tell that they've put a lot of work in to make it authentic. Like, it's small stuff like leaving in little bits where the Zoom call goes wrong and things like that. You know, they're, they're, there's something very real about that content for an official club channel. And I think given how much stick, absolutely correctly, the club get for their kind of relentless Pravda slick exterior, it is really interesting that they've got this one outlet that's by far the best thing they've ever produced as a club in terms of media of any kind, you know. 
Yes, I think if we got a Roy Keane too, I still think they'd cut that. <laughs> I mean, I, they, they talk if, they talk almost every week about that show about wanting Roy Keane on and being too scared to ask him. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, I don't literally mean Roy Keane. I mean if if Harry Maguire went on the show and said, "Look." we hate each other and honestly we don't really rate the manager that much <laughs> i think that would be cut really really quickly um anyway um you know quick quick chat about the end of the game there's a free kick that went in i saw some criticism of dave on the internet i have to say i didn't agree with it um you know there's a, a view i'm summarizing from quite a few people here that he should have gone forward to the ball, but I think he may have been beaten for speed if he'd done that. So, you know, I think basically he's been beaten with that one and he just didn't get it to, in time. But your thoughts on the free kick? I mean, it looked fine to me. Like, it looked like it didn't look like a howler or anything. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's that sorted. Everyone else is wrong. <laughs> um, so, so I think that's it for Istanbul. Yeah. Um, should we take a quick break and we'll talk about Diego Maradona and Southampton? Yeah, just one tiny, tiny thing on on Istanbul. Just, um, uh, yep, a few wobbles in the second half. But my God, if we're going to err on the side of one thing or another, I want us to err on the side of fun. And I also think it's like, um, not just because that's my own existential relationship with Man United is so like frustrated at the moment. Um, but it's it's also... It max. It's all the thing. All our best players are attacking players. So why are we trying to compensate? I mean, I know the six-one clearly rattled Ollie, but um, we are way better. We are at our best when we are fun. That is not just in terms of the entertainment spectacle, but just also in terms of results. So it's a win-win. That is. Yeah. All right. Quick break, and then we'll be yeah. back. If you want more from the show in between shows, check us out on the socials. We are NQAT Pod on Instagram, Ed's at NQAT Pod on Twitter, and we are under our real names on Facebook at No Question About That. So, a quick note uh, this is an interview with Jamie Jackson. We recorded it a little while ago, and it took me a while to fix some of the problems with the audio. But here you go my interview with Jamie Jackson. So I'm here with Jamie Jackson, the Guardian journalist and author of a new book on Oli Gunnar Solskjaer called The Red Apprentice. It's about his time at Manchester United and a biography of his life. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. How are you today, Jamie? I'm very good, thank you. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good. Um, we're recording this just before the Arsenal game, so uh, we've got another month of lockdown to look forward to, haven't we? See, I, I, as a writer... I'm quite a hermit anyway. And I'm just going to politely, slightly, not correct you, but just maybe adjust what you're saying. It's actually a biography of Solskjaer. So while obviously a massive part of his life story is United as player and manager, it does tell the story of his life and when basically he was born. Great. So that was going to be my first question. Tell me about the premise of the book. Uh, you said it's a biography of Solskjaer. So I guess the time period is his, uh, his life story. Jamie, go for it. Yeah, I mean, as I just mentioned, it's basically a biography. And actually, there hasn't been a, well, there is now, there's mine, but there wasn't beforehand a definitive, exhaustive, you know, thorough, however you want to describe it, biography. There's been some books on him, as you'd probably expect. But, so that's one reason why I was interested in doing it. I think also, if you're writing, yeah, it's a biography, as I say, but if you're writing a story about an incumbent, a current Manchester United manager, you're going to have lots to go at as a writer because it's a bit of a soap opera. I've done one previous book uh, on United, which is called The Season of the Red, which was post-Ferguson, so it took in Moyes, Van Gaal, and sort of Mourinho's right. arrival on Van Gaal's sacking. And, you know, that was a bit of a roller coaster. So I, I knew there'd be plenty to go at. But actually Solskjaer himself, as a person, a man, has had quite a... or is having a very interesting life and sporting career... And, you know, I, I love re reading biographies and I've never written one before. So, you know, it's just just enjoy enjoyable thing to sort of take a year and a half um, to, 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 to tackle, really. So we were recording this the day after United lost to Arsenal. And I guess it kind of feels like a, a summary of Ollie's time at Manchester United, at least as his manager. Glorious victories followed by ignominious defeats. And what are your, your thoughts on, I think you call it the soap opera at Manchester United these days? Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, I think you coined it completely, completely perfectly. I mean, the, the, you know, the game, um, when, when they sort of 
you know, gave Leipzig a bit of a walloping, really. I was at that game. That was Wednesday night. That was the night before the book came out. So you couldn't really ask for a better sort of, if you like, pre-launch sort of result. Probably, well, no, not probably one of the results of his tenure. But then, you know, um, the game um, yesterday, Arsenal was at that one as well. And they, they were very tepid. And yeah, yeah, that's kind of been the story of his... I mean, he has taken them forward. I don't think you can really argue with third place last season has taken them forward, but it's all about this season now, of course. And if you look at that league table, the one slight thing that's, you know, if you're looking, I mean, I'm not a Manchester United fan, but as someone who reports them, if you're looking for a sort of glimmer of light, apart from the actual players he's got, they have got a game in hand along with City because obviously they started (laughs) a week later. So there's a slight sort of, I don't know what you'd call that, um, plus there maybe. But they have to start winning soon, really, in the league. It's a shame, really, because even if even if they just won one of the ones that they've lost, which is three, that that you know they've been double figures, I believe. And with that game in hand, you could say, well, they're still in the title race. I'm not saying they're out of it, but you understand what I mean. It, yeah. it looks like yeah. it could be a topsy turvy season, or I don't know, maybe it'll start to sort itself out with, with City. You know, if they could beat Liverpool on Sunday, isn't it? Yes, you know, they'd go within three points. But you know, it, it's been a little bit of a shame, really, from their point of view. Okay, to start from the beginning then, uh, Ollie, you're covering the, Ollie's lifespan. So let's talk a little bit about um, you know, whether this was something that was inevitable for United. Was he always going to become United manager? It seems a, a long shot. Uh, was this something he dreamed about? Uh, I'm guessing that you've got to know him pretty well over the last 18 months or so. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think the answer to that is yes and no, in that, yeah, you know, he has always been a smart cookie. As a kid, he was a smart 10-year-old, analytical 9-, 10-year-old as a sort of, you know, young footballer, wanting to, always keen to learn, even at that age. Understood a lot about sort of elite sport, if you want to call it that way, because of his dad being an elite sportsman, Greco-Roman wrestler. Um, and so even though, you know, he didn't set out when he sort of even joined United to be United manager, he's got he's got the sort of, personality or character who kind of or which kind of has the ability to always seem to better himself and and sort of you know you know the goal you could say the goal's a fluke I'm not so sure really he, he you know that scored that won the, the the you know the the Champions League in 99 he's a sort of you know he imagined he would do that he could do that he wanted to get on and the pitch that that day you know to do it that night sorry um and you know he got a very bad injury um Obviously, and it cost him the last three or four years of his career at United. So we're talking when he was about 29, 30-ish, basically 2003. Um, and that's when it dawned on him, wait a minute, it was before that he didn't want to or thought he didn't want to go into management. But that's when it dawned on him that, wait a minute, you know, if this is the end of my playing career, I don't want to leave football, um, you know, either like this or at all. And so he, having already taken sort of a lot of notice of what Ferguson was doing, you know, he really began to, and, you know, and Ferguson recognised it in him as well, that he was smart enough and, right, right. you know, the potential to sort of maybe, not necessarily manage Manchester United, but, you know, he gave him a, a role of coaching the forwards at first and then he was obviously reserve team co-manager Warren Joyce. They won the title 09-10 with a, sort of Paul Pogba was in that side. Uh, you're obviously a very young Paul Pogba 10 years ago now it would be. Um, so it, he's got an interesting personality in that way. He's a smart cookie and he's very driven and he also understands himself, which allows him to understand people. And, and when you start to think about that, oh, that's kind of a massive attribute or skill you need to be a manager, right? You know, to be able to manage your players, understand they're all different, that kind of man management element. I think it's true that Oli always thought deeply about the game. I, I mean, he said that before he sat on the bench and was able to study and analyse what was going on. But I guess the question now is, is what is the ceiling for Oli? How far can he go? Because one of the obvious things, I think, from watching United at the moment is Oli's learning on the job, which is unusual when you take one of the really big jobs. Where, where do you think Oli goes from here? There's all sorts of ways of answering that question. So, for example, Ferguson took four years to win the first trophy and seven to win the first you know, league title at United, seven years. And that's the great Sir Alex Ferguson. So I don't know whether you'd argue that Solskjaer had a better or worse job ahead of him, you know, when he came into United than Ferguson. But all I'm saying is, is that's the, the very best we've ever had, I'd argue, in Ferguson. And I'm not saying at all he's going to get four or seven years, but 
I don't think you're really going to know unless he gets more time. Now, I'm not a fan of Manchester United. I understand if you are, it could be hair-tearingly frustrating to see. You know, you could beat Leipzig and then do do that against Arsenal. You know, and how 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 soon is now kind of thing with regard to how much time does he need? But I I don't know. You know, Moyes would probably have done better if he'd got more time. But did he deserve it at the time? Probably not. This is the this is for me. He's always the fascination of sport. Um, so I, listen, I, I think if 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 he can somehow continue in the job, you know, last season was all about for me. You know, when you came to that December period right at the start, and you had Spurs on the Wednesday. I think it was a Manchester City on the Saturday. I don't even remember the two games, but yeah. he was yeah. in a lot of trouble then. Yeah, and it was like you looked at those two games. You thought, "There's no way he needs to win these two. There's no way that's going to happen. Surely not." Mason Greenwood started against Spurs, and you won that game. And then you won, you beat City, and he got out of it. And he bought more time. He needs to buy more time, really. Um, he needs to do something about Pogba. I suggest. I mean, you know, I, I go up and down all on the houses with Paul Pogba as, as a reporter. You know, I can obviously see how brilliant he can be and is, but then other times he's just to the detriment of the side. And I think Solskjaer's probably the same. I mean. You know, yesterday he gives away that penalty. It's not the first time he's done something a little bit errant, and then somehow he's not taken off when he, you know, he brings on Cavani. And I think who else was it? I can't remember. But um, I don't know. Things like that. You think, well, you know, how long are you going to give him? Because he's costing you points and possibly, you know, your future as the manager. But I do think he's got a chance. I think he's got a very good chance of winning a title. But you know, other people would say that's absolute hokum. Etc. Etc. The interesting thing, or one of the interesting parts of this debate, is you know these the school of thought says get Pochettino, but it's interesting really because Pochettino's actually won nothing ever as a manager, and I'm not saying that doesn't mean to say he can't, but you know Solskjaer has won stuff. He won consecutive titles in uh, for Molde, sorry, in Norway, then the Norwegian Cup the following year, Um, and he knows the club. And I just you know, I don't know really. I'm not such. It always puzzles me why Pochettino would necessarily be better or worse, but you know. Or indeed, perhaps why Poch would come at all, given the other stuff that surrounds the club. Well, exactly. There you go. You see. Why do you think Ollie was signed up on a permanent contract? I mean, he won a large amount of games as temporary manager, didn't he? Uh, and he was going to be temporary manager until the end of the season, and then was given the full time contract. Was that just the emotion of the moment? Yeah, I think the PSG result, you know, obviously kind of sealed it. Um, I'm not so sure. It's a very good question why they did it right then. They, I think they thought, Woodward thought, it would obviously help the team's progression. You know, he, this is our guy, some stability. I know you've been performing for him so far and this to a certain extent is your reward because compared to... what, what, what it, it may be difficult to remember exactly the, the sort of depth of uh, discontent at the club under Mourinho at that point when he came in, you know, uh, as a caretaker that December... I mean, it wasn't a happy place at all. And I think the way in which he just sort of revolutionised it, you know, and, and it, it was over a number of months. And then you had the PSG thing, uh, you know, winning there and the way it happened with Rashford. It almost seemed, you know, Ferguson was obviously at that game. And, you know, it sort of, I think Cantona was there. And I'm not, I don't know, really. I, at that moment, I don't think many people argued with the appointment at that time. Why not? Was I think was 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 you know was certainly a prevailing sentiment, and it was interesting because that's kind of around that time when I signed the deal to do the book for the same sort of reason, really. You know, because it was going so well. What a great story this is going to be, Ed. You know, uh, that sort of this kind of favourite son comes back and not rescues the club, but you understand what I mean. Turns it around yeah. and you know revitalizes it, and then of course from there, from when he signs the contract. As I think maybe, you know, why you're asking it or why you're wondering, you know, it goes all downhill. Um, I mean, it has been an unbelievable uh, roller coaster f- for him. And you look at him, and it was interesting after the game yesterday, he obviously came to speak to us. And, and I'm thinking he must have absolutely gone to town to them in the, in the changing room. Now, I don't know if he, if he did. I don't know that for a fact. It's just an a, a opinion. I'd be surprised if he didn't. But before us, he was very, very sort of calm and... Upbeat's not quite the right word because he was gutted, obviously. We can use that word, but you know, he, he was he was he was still his sort of breezy self. But I actually think that's one of his his um ad, uh, one of his pluses that he, he you know he's very good at not you know I know he was frustrated about not getting Sancho, for example, um, but yeah, he's never ever really hinted at that in, in public, and I think that's that's quite that's quite clever. 
So, you know, the players really love him. And there's a lot to be said for that because, you know, you got Hammers 6-1. You don't need me to remind you Spurs I was at that game. And then you've you responded with those sort of three or four games. So that, that sort of showed how much they think of him, I'd say. I mean, I, that's, that's another nice. thing that's always interested me. It's like, you know, professional players getting paid, I don't know, 100K, 150K a week. They, 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 they darn well should be running through brick walls, shouldn't they? Whoever the manager is. But that's not exactly, that's in the real world, that's not how it works, of course. You do have to have that relationship. And I think he... he I think he has that, and I think Ferguson had that, and Moyes certainly never. Van Gaal was well liked all around the club, but he was just a little bit, uh, I don't know, maybe past his peak. And obviously Mourinho's Mourinho, so you know, it's it is an interesting juncture. The thing with United is you don't need me to tell you it's a complete soap opera, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Every every there are, every match is a sort of um, a defining moment with regard to the manager and the club. So you know, here we are again, sort of. It's not quite as fervent because you had done really well, but you know that happens, and people ask me, "Oh, do you think he's going to be sacked?" And it's like, "Well, no, I don't think so." But I can understand why you're asking because it's sort of Manchester United; everything's magnified, which is part of the the allure, isn't it? The glamour of the club, really. That's you know, it's because it's such a massive entity. I think I'm right in saying that was Ollie's 100th game as manager at, at, against Arsenal, which is a sort of defining point, good point to to look back. But thinking forward, do, do we have a sense whether the club think they're going? I mean, they've flip-flopped on so many managers, different styles and different approaches. Is is Oli in it for the long term? Again, I think you're correct. I mean, you know, the last time I asked seriously was after that 6-1 defeat, as you can probably imagine. And, you know, there was a complete... He's not going anywhere, no way at all. Um, and then... You know, a couple of days later, there was a lot of noise, or usual noise, really, about Pochettino, and that was almost scoffed at. Sort of, I think a fair way to represent the way in which it was spoken to me about Pochettino was, "What? Why would we even think of that?" You know, because basically, how sort of how much they've invested in Ollie. But you're right when you say flip flop. There it is interesting. I mean, you know, football. I think the thing with football is, is you know, someone could tell you that at the club who obviously knows what's going on. But, you know, the next day, it, that could have changed and it wasn't that you'd been lied to. It's just changed because that's fo- that's football a little bit. Um, but, I mean, you know, what, what, it's always an interesting one with Solskjaer because a lot of people think that he's got a chance and a lot of people think he hasn't. And, you know, he probably doesn't know. He, you know, he probably backs himself, but it's all unfolding before him. It's not like, you know, Ferguson sort of four or five years into winning the title kind of... You know, he'd got those titles behind him. He, he, the club was really his. He was so powerful and so sort of on top of his game. As you just said then, I mean, it's one of the reasons why the book is called that, The Red Apprentice, because, you know, he's learning on the job. Um, I mean, I would suggest anyone going into United is kind of learning on the job how to be the manager of Manchester United, because it's not like any other job. But I obviously take the point that Van Aal and Mourinho have been in super clubs before, so they know, you know, they've got that sort of experience. Um, and a lot of people say to me, why have Manchester United got a sort of, yeah, a figure like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who wouldn't be there if he wasn't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? But that's kind of half the point, really, because of his history and what he's done there. Um, and he's not intimidated at all by the place. I always go back to his very first press conference where he just walked in and he was sort of so at home. And I, I was quite impressed by that. I was surprised, really, because Van Gaal, Moyes and Mourinho a little bit slightly taken, you know, as you'd, as you'd imagine, Need a little bit of time to acclimatise to it, but he does. He doesn't have any. He doesn't have any inferiority complex himself. Whereas a lot of people think he, he, he you know, he's he's not up to it. He certainly hasn't got any of those issues. He understands as well the criticism. He probably can be an intelligent man. Could probably relate to you know to why people think he a question why he's there. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the direction of the club, I, I would suggest that. And listen, I could be wrong here, but I'm only going on kind of what I'm told. You know, I would suggest that he, he, he's, you know, unless he start to stink the place out, losing four or five nil next three games, he, he's relatively safe. But you know, who have, they, who have you got? Who have you got at the weekend? It's Everton. Yeah, it's Everton at the weekend, and who knows which way that one will go? James is missing, I think, which is a bonus for United. But they had a good start to the season, Everton. So this is likely to be a tough game, and, and I think that's the problem as fans. We don't know which United will turn up. Some amazing victories and some really ridiculous losses and inconsistency from the manager in terms of his approach. And, and so that's where some of the frustration comes from, I think. I mean, what, what, do you, what do you think? 
Do, do you want him there? Look, Ollie's got loads of credit in the bank for what he's done for United. And I think there's a lot of patience amongst the fan base as a result of that. Maybe not on Twitter, but um, amongst fans. Everyone wants him to succeed. But one of the frustrations, I think, is that he hasn't... Although players have progressed under him, clearly, Rashford and Martial, he hasn't got more than the sum of the parts of this squad. He's got talent there. There are holes, of course. He he hasn't been supplied with um, the players that will fix all those holes. And, and we know the reason why that's the case. I mean, in the summer, you know, we've got what looks like another number 10. We now have Pogba, Fernandez, Van der Beek and Massa, who all want to play there. It's just a reflection of the lack of balance in the squad. So he's not working with the best tools, but um, he's got lots of credit. He just needs to find that consistency. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I'd agree with that. I mean, it, last season third was probably the best you could have expected. But now, I don't know. If you're going to be third again, you need to be third sort of, I think, within touching distance, maybe even actually in it properly, you know, challenging until the last, whatever, two or three weeks, maybe. It could still happen. This season's... You know, it's a bit of a cliche to say, but it is, for the right reason, it is a little bit topsy-turvy because of the compressed nature and where we are, you know, with the wider world, etc. But, you know, when you see it click against Leipzig and also PSG, which is, you know, a masterful performance, really, that's mm-hmm. when, then when you see the sort of Chelsea won the draw and the, yeah, the Arsenal one, you think, oh, what is going on here? It's, you know, it's an absolute, it's baffling. You know, I, I see that, I'm lucky enough to see them every time they play at home, basically. You know, and I've done for years since sort of uh, Ferguson was still at United, and it, that this is what you're seeing here has basically been the story of United since Ferguson left, isn't it? You know, sort of just one step forward and kind of three quarters of one back, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Great. Well, the book is called The Red Apprentice. It's in uh, all good bookstores, as, as they say. Um, I guess it'll have to be off online for the moment. Um, well, best of luck with the launch of the book, Jamie. Thank you very much for joining us. And we'll, uh, we'll have you on for your next book. Um, in in the future and uh, let's see how this season goes it looks like there'll be a few ups and downs oh th- thank you very much well take it easy take it easy Alrighty. yeah I, I mean this country is rubbish <laughs> so so we, we can talk about the uh, coverage of uh, Diego it's just, Maradona passing it's just heartbreaking like it's heartbreaking you know there was a funny tweet that was doing the rounds after the election where um, the Ayrshire some Ayrshire local paper wrote Ayrshire golf club owner loses election um, which is <laughs> right. good it's a funny a funny local news headline but genuinely the English tabloid press are doing that with absolutely no irony or sense of humour oh god no and making yeah. the mirror the star the sun and the express disgusting headlines I mean disgusting. at least the mirror's headline was like he's at the hand of god now kind of thing which was which is quite you know that's reasonably funny but it's just the kind of little Englander response of that's the only thing we can think about, about, you know, if not the greatest, one of the greatest footballers, sports people uh, that has ever existed, a, a cultural icon beyond any. Yeah. Beyond any. Um, except for, you know, Jordan and a few others, Al- Ali. Yeah. yeah? Um, uh, someone who's completely transformational for the sport in his country, um, uh, you know, and an icon globally. And, and that's all we can think about. One incident yeah. from a game 30 years ago. It, I just, I just can't believe it. I think, I think more, I, I know that that is kind of reflective of a certain group within the UK, within England. Um, but I hope it's not reflective of our whole society. I think there's a lot of people in England that, really respect Diego Maradona for who he was, you know, as a player. Yeah, I mean, the election results over the last few years would argue that it's certainly reflective of a majority opinion to be a small-minded little Englander, but... Well, well, no, hang on a minute. Uh, like, uh, we might as well talk about elections. You know, uh, what, what did the Tories get? 44%? Right, yeah, yeah, which yeah. Means, no, yeah, that's, yeah. that's true. So, and, and there's about 1% for uh, Conservative with the small C parties in Northern Ireland. Everyone else voted for... Liberal, you know, liberal. I, yeah, I know politics. I, I'm going to get some tweets about this because people are like, 
sick of the football and social, socialism show. Um, but but I actually, you know, just to just to you know put numbers on it, right? More than fifty percent of the country voted for parties with a liberal ideology. Small L. Yeah, no, you're right. That's that is that is true. So maybe not a majority opinion, but at least a extremely substantial and extremely vocal minority. Yes. Um, the, you know, yes. this came on the back of... Anyway, can, can we talk about Diego yeah, just, rather just, than... Just give me one, in the one more second on why England's small-minded xenophobia is so rampant and problematic. Uh, Matt Law from the Daily Telegraph the day before oh. had tweeted when Marcelo Bielsa was um, yeah. uh, shortlisted for coach of the year, he tweeted, um, well, he's, he's less... Um, worthy of the award than Chris Wilder. Okay, well, actually, that that one you could. There's some merit to it. Frank Lampard and Dean Smith, but they don't get a look in because they're English. To quote Stuart Lee, "You say you're English these days, they throw you in jail." Like this is the the desperate mentality, the the victim mentality of the people who hold all the power is absolutely I know, insane. I know, I know, and it's been leveraged in a disgusting way, especially in the US, but but also in England too. You know, we're going to rail against the elites, say the Oxbridge, Burlington Club yeah. um, elites. Anyway, Matt Law, it was so ridiculous that tweet. I had to call it out. But I, I, you know, I paused for a second on calling it out because I thought, is he being ironic? I mean, I just like, it, it's just so, it's so, so ridiculous, that mentality. I'm not even getting into the substance of the argument, the idea that English people and managers can't get any credit. Um, in, in, <laughs> I mean, it's just, in, I, I, it blows my mind, yeah. right? Anyway. Anyway, yeah. Diego Marad. I want to talk about yeah, Diego. Yeah, yeah, because Fire away. I, I um, I'm a bit tired today because um, I decided to stay up and watch the uh, Maradona documentary again. I'd seen it before. This is the the uh, the one that was released uh, late last year, which is just an amazing piece of filmmaking. I think it, it's I, like if if you haven't seen it, it's available on Prime and Apple and. Uh, all four, I, I, I don't, I, you know, they, I, it might be still sh- scheduled because it's partly funded by Channel Four, um, but you can get it right. Um, I thoroughly recommend you watch it. It's, it focuses m- mainly on his time at Napoli, with the context of the World Cups, you know, um, and it's a non-narrative piece of um, storytelling. So you know, it goes back in time now and again to talk about his background in Argentina and and his family life and stuff like that. But it's just a Fantastic documentary looking into the nuances of this player, you know, the fantastic player, the character, um, the, the, his cocaine addiction, how Napoli used him and abused him, uh, his relationship um, with uh, the mafia. Um, and it's just a really complex character, but, but uh, someone who was obviously transformational in terms of his talent. Yeah, I mean... Um, you know, the, the debate about, I mean, we love that society, I don't mean we as in us, football discourse now, sports discourse now loves the GOAT conversation so much. And football has had this kind of like absolute uh, peak of this argument because you've got two genuine candidates for it vying back and forth every season, winning Ballon d'Or one after the other, basically. But the thing is, the thing is, the conversation in any sport is you can't compare across eras, obviously. But when you watch Maradona play, you think, I mean, I know this is the most obvious point in the world, but imagine that guy playing on bowling green pitches where it's a, a yellow card to uh, to like tackle someone from behind, whereas it, it used to not be a yellow card the first time you put, put a hip-high challenge in on him, as, as yeah. Rio said. Yeah, yeah, I... Oh man, I mean, you know, um, obviously the money was in Italy uh, at that time, and United couldn't afford it. I mean, there was a, a discussion at United about um, buying uh, Robert Prozinecki at one time, and um, uh, United couldn't afford the four million pound fee. Right, this is in the uh, early nineties, late eighties, um, something like that. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it wasn't in the ball game. United weren't competing for players like that at the time. But uh, man. What a wouldn't it have been magical? Just in a, like a thought experiment of uh, how magical it would be. But you know, just 
just trans uh, you're right transport that talent into today's game and he would have an impact like no other and you know he's the, the comparisons aren't you know ronaldo portuguese ronaldo so so different from messi in terms of you know what they mean messi very different from maradona doesn't play in that position um uh you know, there's no one like Maradona no. in the in the game today. No one. Um, just you know, the ability to dribble his his pass for the winning goal in the '86 World Cup final, outside of his foot, first time, incredible. You know, defense splitting pass, won the World Cup, Dra- dragged Argentina. You know, a what is widely regarded as a pretty average side to 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 two finals. You know, with his talent alone, took Napoli a regional team mocked by the rest of Italy to two Serie A titles. You know, tra- transformational talent, as I've said a few times. And, um, yeah, oh God, you know, I'd love to see a player of that talent in the today's game. The um, the the closest things I guess we've seen uh, a bit more recently, was well, a long time ago too now, but the Brazilian Ronaldo and Ronaldinho's two-year peak, you know. But Maradona's sort of, like, all that with a low centre of gravity. Like, he's he's... He was just absolutely amazing. And I, I put on Twitter, like, I think it's really, it makes me really sad that I hated him so much because now I love him so much. And now, like, it's really clear that we were the baddies, like, in that game. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, it, you know, he, we, as a nine-year-old, I didn't have any sense of nuance about that conversation around the hand of God. I just thought yeah. he was a real bad, mean cheat. Um yeah, and, yeah, you know, it's funny to see that Peter Shilton, who was a full-grown man then and is now an old full-grown man, who uh, Maradona described as a thermos head, meaning a really, <laughs> a really dim-witted person. <laughs> yes, well, that's correct. Yeah. Yes, um, good assessment. Yeah, uh, he's, you know, he he wrote a piece for the Mail, a column for the Mail, obviously, saying that you know he was a great sportsman, a great uh, player, but no sort of sportsman. I'm like. You're writing a column slagging him off the day he died. What's worse? Like, what is worse? Anyway. Um, Let it go. I'm not going to see him, yeah. but, you know, seriously, get some frozen. Um, it, it, I, honestly, it's just I had to read the piece because, I, you know, I, I can't stop myself <laughs> doom scrolling through all parts of my life. But it, it, I just really, come on. Man, come on, man. I mean, you're out jumped by a, someone who's five foot six or whatever. Um, uh, you know, I think the blame is more on Chilton for that goal, and then to not be able to leave it, yeah, have some class, yeah. No, uh, the day he died, absolutely. Um, but the uh, the the player, um, was was electrically exciting, and there are no better compilations than Maradona compilations. And the Napoli story is oh. unbelievable. Darren Richmond, friend of the show, Darren Richmond, put on Instagram a little clip of the story, uh, which is. Oh, and it just really is a, the one of the most goosebumps stories. The banner that was lifted over the cemetery in Napoli saying yeah, yes. you don't know what you missed. <laughs> like, oh my god, <laughs> just uh, magic. I mean, but you can look, you can imagine it because, uh, like, sitting in context. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's not really a modern context, but a city that was downtrodden, poor, yeah. s- southern Italy, kind of mocked by the rest of. You know, maybe Liverpool in the exactly, 80s, right? Exactly, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, if, so. if Liverpool in the 80s had come out of the second division in the 80s and won the league, you know, that's that's that was the level it would have been rather than having kind of been established as a dominant force yes, already. Yeah. The, um, the, the, it made me really sad, actually, that he died. I'm not normally particularly emotionally affected by famous people dying because, you know, people die, right? That's, people but, die yeah, all the exactly, time, right? But mm. there's something about, oh, and, you know, I'm actually not a big advocate of hedonism. I know a lot of people love Maradona because like he, oh, he really lived his life to the full. And I, I actually think there's something quite profoundly empty about living your life to the full in inverted commas in that way. Um, because, uh, you know, there's, there is a hollowness at the heart of the hedonistic. Oh, sure. And I think that's clear from that, that the documentary I mentioned, yeah. um, you know, this wasn't a happy time no. for him. Um, you know, doing coke from uh, Sunday to Wednesday, as uh, producer Tom will tell you, is uh, <laughs> wow, it's not a great idea. <laughs> wow, are we all gonna? Th- are we gonna listen? I think the three of Look, us, we've all been the, th- there. We've all the been three of there. us, need to have an amnesty about chucking around drug histories in this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
sorry, sorry, listeners. A bunch of images just flashed through my head of this reprobate. Good, good times, good times. Um, but yeah, but you know. <laughs> but yes, con- continue the, your point. The, the, the thing is, he clearly had that an extraordinarily intense life force. And, you know, as anyone who is idolised at the age that he was and put under the level of scope, uh, like scrutiny and pressure that he was... He's done a lot of damage to people in his life. You know, this is this is not, yeah. you know, this is a person whose personal life is a trail of like... Oh, no, sure. He he was estranged from his son who denied he existed for, you know, 20 years yeah. and, and estranged from his now ex-wife or his ex-wife and his, his two daughters, yeah. you know. It's caused a huge amount of damage to his family and the people closest to him. But... Uh, As addiction can, it, you know, make exactly. happen. All the time. But my God, what a player. And my God, the coolest looking football photos you'll ever see. Maradona in a Boca Juniors shirt, like Maradona in that 80s Argentina shirt. Like, oh, I want one yeah, of those. Real cool. I, I've got a, there's a picture of me. I think you've seen it uh, when I'm about, what, four or five with an Argentina 78 shirt. And I've got a big bush of hair. <laughs> you know, I could have been Maradona. <laughs> you could. I'm, I'm the Maradona of the podcasting world. <laughs> you said there's certainly <laughs> periods of your life. No, let's not. Um, <laughs> no, let's not go there. Um, all right. So uh, I've got to go in uh, four minutes. So um, Southampton, I, I mean. Southampton, uh, difficult oh, for United. I'm not looking for For so this. many reasons. I mean, no, no, Southampton are doing well this season. You know, they're fifth in the table. Um, Hasn't Huttle has, has imprinted his style on them deeply. Uh, and it's the style with which United struggle, you know. Uh, there, there was a moment in the the Istanbul game where um, Lindelof hit one over the top and, and you know, he beat the press that way. Because they did press at times at Istanbul, not much. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I wonder whether that might not be a good tactic because as much as uh, we like to think Lindelof and Maguire are good ball players. Honestly, they're not that good. Yeah, and um, ball players. And they, you know, Lindelof can hit that long pass. And I mean, he came off injured, didn't he, Lindelof? And Twanzebe came on. Um, yes. So. so we'll see. Maybe it's Twanzebe. Who who has more to his game? You know, the the tool set is bigger. Mm. The experience not so, and the injury record not so. But the tool set is bigger. Bigger. So we'll see. He may he may well play. Yeah. I mean, I I am ner- very nervous about this one. Very nervous. Um, I mean, I was very nervous about the Istanbul game and we won that comfortably. I, I'd be real, real, real surprised um, if we win this one really comfortably. Uh, it seems seems a long shot at this point. Yeah, uh, and I wonder what the style might change a little bit and United um, will invite Southampton to try and attack because, um, you know, stylistically, I think that's one of the ways to beat them. Um, uh, and and. You know, also you've got to stretch them out to to beat their press. We'll we'll see. We'll see. He's gonna. I, I agree. It'll be a tough one. I mean, it's it's away from home. Not that it matters that much right now. Um, it yeah. Certainly, uh, the statistics show that home advantage has disappeared. Yeah. Um, so you know, hey, we'll see. I think it'll be a tough game. I if a prediction, I'm going to say one one. Yeah. So the, they they will play four four two. Most likely, um, yeah. And Jay Adams has been scoring. Uh, it'll be Walcott yeah. scored in the last. It'll game. be them two up front because Danny Ings is injured and Nathan Redmond is is not expected to to play in this. Which game. is good because Ings is having an, another fantastic season. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I think you know it should should try and break the press by going over the press rather than necessarily always trying to go through it. And I think if they do, yeah. I would love to see the same front three start. I think it'd be I I would love to see almost the same. We'll see, we'll see how Cavani's fitness is holding up and whether he's. Fresh. I mean, it was Tuesday um, to Sunday, so it's a it's a pretty yeah. So a bit of yeah, a bit of space. Um, I mean, they've got a soft middle. You know, if it's Ward Prowse and Romeo, you know, I think United can play through that too. Mm. Um, and yeah, we'll see Ward and the other risk, of course, with Southampton is Ward Prowse's uh, set pieces. Yeah. Both direct and indirect are, are excellent, yeah. and so yeah, it'd be good to not give fouls around, uh, you know away around our box. Um, but at the back, they've had they've had problems. You know, um, uh, Walker Peters. I don't know that uh, he's been excellent since he joined. There, they, there's some talk. Um, uh, there was in the summer, uh, but now again about Brandon Williams maybe going there on loan. We'll see. And and Bednarek and Vestergaard playing in the last one. I, I think there's some weakness there for sure. You know, so um, and, you know our, our chances of winning are by attacking um, and working out how to get the ball. 
um, into the attacking third yeah. without losing it and causing ourselves problems. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm going to predict for no reason other than being wildly reactive to swings in United's form on the pitch, a 2-1 win in this one. All right. Well, I think I said 1-1. Yeah. We'll see. I hope you're right. I mean, I'm talking that's just literally last week we played badly and then afterwards oh, we're never going to be good again now we played well I'm like, oh, yeah we're probably going to win so you know whatever all, all right, right thanks for listening everyone we'll speak to you soon have a great one bye now but here's Maradona again he has for Chaga to his left and Valdano to his left he doesn't he won't need any of them oh you have to say that's magnificent there is no debate about that goal that was just pure football genius. No question.